Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. The job market, is it cooling? It says, according to statistics, the growth in January has slowed down. And uh, so we are seeing a cooling of the job market. The big concern for people is going to be, and I had Kristen Bentz on the show yesterday. I've talked quite a bit about Kristen because she is a retail analyst, and uh, and she has been so on the money in helping me understand not just what's going to happen, but why she believes it's going to happen. And she's been right so many times. And we were talking yesterday. She's the one, before the headlines came out today, that said, that a, a huge number of people that are living paycheck to paycheck are making over $100,000 per year. That's remarkable to hear that statistic. $100,000 a year, for even for a couple, you used to be middle class comfortable. And it wasn't that long ago. It's not like I'm talking about the good old days. So we understand inflation is really hurting families. So the idea of slowing down the economy to bring down prices, but you don't want to lose jobs. The saving grace to our economy has been a very strong job market, and it remains it remains strong. We are seeing gas prices on the increase. We are seeing jobs slowing. We now know we've heard that PayPal will be laying off 2,000 people, another tech company that is uh, laying people off. The good news is so far, people in that industry that have been laid off from one company are still able to find jobs with another company fairly quickly. It's taking a little bit longer, but it's been it's been fairly stable. What will February bring? What are we going to find out for the entirety of the first quarter of the year? That's going to be a big issue. We may see a Fed rate increase, a smaller one, they believe, this week. Um, and I'm anxious to see how it all works out because in the end, um, as I've said many times, I want – to see America succeed. Um, I'm not a fan of the policies of this president by any means. I don't be- I don't agree with them. Uh, I'm not going to vote for him um, in the next election cycle if he runs. I didn't vote for him this last time. Um, but that doesn't mean I want to see their policies completely fail so that I can say I was right. I would love for the president to be right in some of these things if it means the salvaging of the American economy from a deep, dark place. I, I, I have faith in America. I think we are always going to rise from the ashes. We've had difficult times in my lifetime. I was I was a young adult, but I was an adult during the big crash in the 80s of the stock market. Uh, we had the recession in 08, 09 that destroyed my business and many others. Um, we we have, we have seen people um, in this country work very diligently to dig themselves out of a hole. And so we're, we are good at this. We are a great economy. We are still very strong. I believe in Americanism. But you've got to take a look at policies and what's happening that's either leading you in the wrong direction or keeping you in the wrong direction. And I think there are plenty of those. One of, one of the things that I find interesting – And I've said over and over, I believe that the Biden administration sees everything through the prism of climate change. Every policy decision they make in every federal agency comes out of that thought process that climate change is the number one issue that our country and the world faces. Number one, Um, you've heard about the ESG economy um, where the ESG rules, environmental, social, and governance, where there is a rule, the ESG climate investment rule politicizing Americans' 401ks, even Senator Manchin has crossed lines again and said that this has got to go. The idea that we are going to have companies report, uh, and there was another, the Senate is upset because there is a, um, a rule that makes companies um, 
show what the effects of climate change might have on their companies. This to me is one more of the things that diminishes business. It takes the eye off the ball. And we ought to be looking at these things and telling people to stay out of it. The Wall Street Journal has an opinion piece from the editorial board saying that Biden has himself to blame for the huge profits of the oil companies. Um, record oil earnings fuel California backlash against the industry. Uh, it is. It just it blows my mind to see these things. Um, it is. Uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce will sue Securities and Exchange Commission if it goes forward with a ruling that requires companies to speculate how climate change could impact their business model. Everything is climate change. The ESGs, it's about environmentalism. It's politically correct. The one thing about Wall Street that's been very consistent is that Wall Street focuses on one thing. Wall Street focuses on making money. They make money – in good economies and bad economies, when Republicans control, when Democrats control, when it's mixed, they are unbiased. They are not politically motivated. It is profit driven. And when you're investing money for your future, when you have putting money aside so that you can retire someday, when you do those things, you want your per- at least I do. I don't put words in your mouth. You want the person that's investing your money to be laser focused on making you as much money as possible so that you can retire as comfortably as possible in those years. This is what is so infuriating to me. It bothers me more than anything else is the idea of environmentalism, which I consider myself an environmentalist. I really do. I want a clean planet. I don't litter. I, you know, I, I, I do my part. I recycle. I do the things because I want a clean planet. You know, I, I love going to the all over the state of Arizona and seeing how beautiful it is. I like to go into the forests and you see the herds of game animals. And if you drive, you're lucky. A lot of times you can drive up into Flagstaff, drive into northern Arizona. As you make the ride up, you can see herds of elk sometimes, sometimes right in the, you know, in the. I saw probably five or ten elk one time I was driving up in the in the median of the I-17 and I know it's dangerous. I know you'd want to hit an elk, but the idea being that I believe in all of these things. The, politi- the politics of environmentalism, this, this culture of climate change that says that industry is evil and people are the problem, and I don't subscribe to it. And I think that when you have a government that says even our economy, even your retirement should be looking through the prism of climate change. So, yeah, you want to make money. Yeah, you want to be able to retire someday, but we've got to be environmentally conscious when we invest that money. That scares me. That's worrisome, and it's also worrisome to Wall Street, and and I don't blame them. I, I think that this is going to be something that's going to shackle companies from uh, from investing money the way they want to, where that is most profitable for their clients, and I hope we move away from it. There is a state lawmaker, not in Arizona, but a state lawmaker trying to make a point. She is proposing a piece of legislation that would disallow children from going to Bible camp. What's her point? I'll explain the ridiculous point to you coming up here in just a couple of moments. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
You know the old saying, go woke, go broke. That's uh, kind of the saying of the day. And I will tell you, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I absolutely respect people's opinions. I don't think that what's right for me is necessarily right for you. I think that a lot of the laws that have been changed where the government has gotten involved with things, sometimes I agree with the government on things that's just none of their business. Uh, One of the biggest mistakes that the government made was licensing for marriages. To me, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Um, You don't have to be a person of faith, but let's start there. If you and the person you love decide that you are going to exchange vows in front of the people that you love, your friends and your family, and before God, if I dare say the name of God on the air, then you have a right to do that. And because you don't pay for a $65 license from the county means you're not really married is ridiculous to me. Marriage is a right, R-I-T-E, not R-I-G-H-T. And so when they got involved in the in the marriage business, there were people that didn't like interracial marriages, and that had to change. And then it was same-sex marriages. Well, that had to change because the government doesn't get to dictate what is truly a union what isn't. So they got themselves in trouble. This is just the libertarian part of me as I get older that's coming out. There's a reason why I'm saying this. But the cancel culture we live in, it was interesting. I had a, I had a little fun. I have a little fun on Twitter because um, people are just funny on Twitter. Um, they say the dumbest things. So there was a guy on Twitter that said they should fire all of us, bring Pat McMahon back on KTAR, and called me a Nazi. Because I was the only one on the tweet. And so I replied and I said, I find it re- it's, it's the epitome of irony. You called me a Nazi, but you want me silenced because you disagree with me. If that isn't the epitome of irony, I don't know what is. So first there's a headline. Catholic students kicked out of the Smithsonian for wearing pro-life hats. Well, I guess they're calling it a political statement, and I guarantee you they're not throwing anybody out uh, out of there that are making political statements of a different kind. Whether it's pro-choice, my body, my choice, keep your laws off my body, I don't think they're getting thrown out of the Smithsonian. Um, anyway, um, the American Center for Law and Justice is representing the parents of the students from Our Lady of the Rosary School in Greenville County, South Carolina. Um, a mother of one of the students posted on Twitter about the incident. She wrote that her daughter told the man they were wearing the hats in order to identify each other in the crowd attending the museum. They said that a security guard approached them and told them to either take off the beanies or leave the museum. They said that the museum was a neutral zone. I guarantee you that they are not throwing people out that have Black Lives Matter T-shirts on. They're not throwing people out that have rainbow flags on them. They're not throwing people out that are voicing opinions about. So this is, again, this is the culture war we're in. And none of them should be thrown out, by the way. None of them. Um, But a Democrat lawmaker in Nebraska named Megan Hunt uh, proposed an amendment to make a point. And the amendment would be that kids couldn't attend drag shows because, or couldn't attend a, a, a Catholic or Bible camps because they have a bill saying that you can't, you shouldn't go to drag shows that are sexualizing kids. You know, there is a difference between a, a guy dressing up in woman's clothing as a joke or otherwise and a sexualized performance where you're stripping and bumping and grinding and making very lewd. And it's really interesting. There was a story I was going to talk about this week, but I couldn't find a way to say what the story said on the air and have it make any sense to you without getting in trouble with the bosses around here because it was too vulgar to say on TV. 
And it was a a drag show that kids were invited to. And it was uh, and it doesn't matter if it is a biological female or if it is a biological male that's made up and wearing uh, prosthetic boobs and doing other things in order to look like a female. The toast that they did was so lewd and actually said, I know there's babies in here, but here's the toast. And it was vulgar. That's the kind of stuff that should be outlawed. We regulate strip clubs. We regulate topless clubs and we regulate all nude clubs. We regulate alcohol. We regulate all of these things to protect children. Tobacco. We regulate these things. Even though we know some kids still do it, we regulate it. But somehow, because this involves, and the people that are angry about it, the transgender community, this has nothing to do with you being transgender as an adult. This has everything to do, and I want to make a stipulation here, because I want to be fair. We do talk about the extremes, and I will tell you the people that are dressing up in drag and doing very lewd, sexually uh, um, charged shows – for shock value in front of children, I would venture to say are not the norm in the transgender community. Just like every other community of people, people generally want to live their life the way they see fit and be left alone. That's that's a pretty general statement. The people that I know that are gay don't go around saying I'm a gay this or I'm a gay that. Uh, it, it's just this is who I am and part of who I am is this. They don't lead with it politically. They're not making a political statement with their sexuality. It is who they are, and that's just who they are. You're not a gay cop. You're not a gay this. You're just a cop that's gay. There's a difference there, a big difference. And when it comes to the transgender community, I, there's a, there was a video of someone that's transgender that was questioning why anyone, transgender or otherwise, wants to talk to other people's children about sex or perform sexually charged acts. If you're, if you're a drag queen and you want to do that, great. There's a lot of people that are straight that think that's hilarious. They love going to drag shows. But you don't take kids to a show, whether they're real or fake, hanging out of a dress and bouncing around with the jokes are suggestive, the bump and grind like they do at a strip club, it's not appropriate for kids. If you are someone that frequents a strip club, if you're someone that goes to places like that, if you walked in and you saw parents with a six-year-old bellied up to the bar and the kid putting a dollar in a stripper's thong, you'd question the parents. Why does it make a difference if it's a biological female in a strip club or it's a man dressed like a woman in a restaurant at brunch? If they're sexually charged and doing it in front of kids, why are we accepting it as a society? Now, the the piece of legislation that this woman advanced to make a point was we know that members of the clergy have sexually assaulted kids, so we shouldn't let them go to Bible camp either. The difference is when someone from the clergy does that, they're usually held accountable. And the times when the churches have covered it up. It's caused huge lawsuits. It was never accepted. It's not acceptable. The difference being there are people out there in this cancel culture that I started off talking about that believe that because you fit into this box, 
that you can sexualize children and be sexually graphic in your jokes and your dance moves in front of children, and that's freedom, and it's acceptable. And anybody that says what I just said is a bigot. Nothing about me is a bigot, and certainly I'm not a prude. But how in the world is sexualizing children ever acceptable in our country? I don't care what you are or who you are. Coming up in a moment, we had a great interview with a man named Rich Nickel from Education Forward Arizona. We're going to talk about AEL, which is Aggregate Expenditure Limit, and we're going to talk about the ESA. That's the vouchers. All that's coming up next. And strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Always appreciate you spending some time with the show. At an interesting interview this morning, uh, Rich Nickel is the man's name. He is the CEO of Education Forward Arizona. He wrote an op-ed piece with someone else, and they were talking about ex- uh, the AEL, which is the Aggregate Expenditure Limit on Education Spending. We have hit that limit. That was a law that was passed by ballot initiative back uh, in 1980, and uh, it, it, it expressly is to limit the amount of money considering the budget and everything else that is spent on education, which means – in this year, this school year, in March, if it is not overridden by a two-thirds majority, because according to the Constitution, that's what it takes to override this, you need a two-thirds majority of the House and the Senate to override it, or there is about $1.2 billion, and in a lot of places it will be a 17% budget cut. They're talking teacher layoffs and ed- ending of sports programs, and it would be devastating for education. So Mr. Nichols said we have to stop playing politics with education. Now, and and I want to be clear about this. Um, I save my rebuttal to points a lot of times for when I'm on the air by myself because when I have a guest on – I want to be respectful of their time. I want to give them the floor to speak because I can speak at any time so that they can make their points and get their points across. I don't think I like a debate. No point in arguing. He was very nice and and his and giving of his time uh, made his point. But I'm going to push back a little bit on some things that I disagreed with. But I wanted to give him as much time as I could to make his points because I think it's valuable for everybody to hear both sides of an issue. And I would much rather talk with somebody that disagrees with me many times because you learn more that way. Um, He talked about this being a major distraction by this AEL hanging over the heads of educators. Our schools, instead of being able to be, you know, laser focused, if you will, academics right now, have their superintendents and principals and school boards, you know, planning for financial doom. And it's crazy because the money has already been allocated to them. It's not new money. They've already been promised it. They've planned for it through the budget deal that was cut last year. And now they can't spend it. The AEA, or Arizona Education Association, um, the president is Marisol Garcia. We played a little bit of an interview she did with ABC 15 and Nick Saletti the other day. And it was fascinating because I laughed at some of the things that they were saying, she was saying, uh, of problems she has with <clears throat> ESA expansion had to do with accountability. And I laughed. That's really funny because what I'm hearing from my side of this conversation, and I make this point as well, they're wanting – accountability in public schools. 
Interesting that Mr. Nichols said instead of schools being laser focused, now they have to worry about this AEL expansion. Now, I do think that this is a distraction, especially for leadership of how they're going to handle this if that $1.2 million is shut off on March 1st. Um, but it is interesting that they're using the phrase laser focused because one of the big things that I am dismayed by in public education and so are many parents, which is why school choice is such a big deal in Arizona and around the country and becoming a bigger deal is because schools are no longer laser focused. Schools do not teach kids like they used to. There are now politically correct curriculums that get in the way and distract from the core. We had uh, Jake Hoffman from the the states of Arizona Freedom Caucus. He's the chairman. Um, And one of the things he brought up were the statistics on how bad it is in reading and math in students that cannot read at grade level or couldn't pass the exam to graduate from high school in math. So I asked him about this because the Freedom Caucus wants accountability. They want financial accountability. They want a curriculum accountability. They want more transparency for the parents. And they say as a body, and he said unanimously, this was Clint Hickman, ta- I'm sorry, um, Jake Hoffman talking. Jake Hoffman saying that we as a body unanimously will not vote, and you need two-thirds in both the House and the Senate to override this without some serious concessions. So I asked him what he thought of that. They were already promised this money. They've planned for it. Those negotiations were happening last year also. I'm not saying these aren't fair questions, but using this as leverage after it's already been promised seems disingenuous to us. So this is what I find interesting. Here are the two conversations, two arguments I've heard, because I'm going to shift now to the AEL or from the AEL to ESA expansion and bring the two together. Um, They don't want this kind of um, gamesmanship being played. When you, If you go onto my social media accounts, if you look at Twitter, I've been having an ongoing conversation about the expansion of the ESAs. And the two arguments that are constantly made, and the only two that are made about why ESAs are no good, number one is it's helping rich kids, which I find laughable that who cares? Who cares? Uh, those rich families pay taxes too, and if they want to use their tax dollars to go to a different school, and that's a private school, they can do whatever they want with the tax dollars. That's the idea of education freedom and education choice. All kids. Why don't you focus on the middle class and poor kids that now have this opportunity, number one? The second argument that's always made, which I find interesting, is that you know that not once but twice voters voted against expansion of the voucher programs and we should always do what the voters want you shouldn't be able to circumvent the will of the voter um the ael was voted on by the citizens of arizona the citizens of arizona voted the ael in place that's why it's there that's why it takes a two-thirds majority to override it so when it comes to the esas you don't like it so we should do what the voters want But the AEL was put in place by voters. You want it overridden. How can you have both? The the argument makes no sense to me. The conversation about education is going to continue. And if there is one great thing about ESA expansion in this AEL conversation is it keeps the spotlight on education in Arizona, expressly on school districts, on curriculum, on spending, 
on all of it. And for people on the other side of the aisle for me on funding. People continue to hear compared to the rest of the country where we are in spending, where we are and how somehow more money is going to fix the problem. And I just I, I can't wait to have this conversation continue. I think it's valuable. In a moment, uh, we're going to go back to the border issue. The president of the United States has a plan for green card security. But they also are saying there are many that are saying that we are incentivizing illegal immigration. And that's why we have the problem we have. We'll cover both of those coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Remember the saying that we tax the things we want less of and we incentivize the things we want more of. That is kind of a standard in what we do as a nation, as we do as communities. I'll give you a couple of examples. We have vanity taxes. Um, when it became very, very clear <clears throat> to people that tobacco products were very dangerous and, and carcinogenic with the chemicals that were being put in tobacco and America went from toba- the tobacco industry – being a huge part of our lives, whether you smoked or not, and I've never smoked in my life, never. My parents did when I was a kid. My mom quit. My my, my father never did. Uh, he, he My father passed away over 10 years ago, but he smoked until he was at the end of his life. Um, I never have, so I'm not defending tobacco. But there was a time in America where um, NASCAR's championship was called the Winston Cup because of Winston cigarettes. Um, we had so much of the tobacco industry in our lives. Um, the old Tonight Show, Johnny Carson had a lit cigarette on his desk. They would smoke on TV, all the movies. It was cool to smoke, television shows. It was, it was a part of American culture. When we realized how dangerous smoking was and the campaigns to stop smoking happened, there were taxes levied on tobacco products, and it still is today. That's why a pack of cigarettes is like $140, um, is because we wanted to have programs available that were funded through the government to tell people not to smoke and help them stop the habit if they had it. It was also about messaging to not start. So we taxed the things we want less of. We incentivize the things we want more of. I say that, and I'm talking about the border and how do those two connect. This is how. Biden's new border admission policy allows Haitian and Cuban migrants to receive Medicaid food stamps and cash handouts. Haitian and Cuban migrants uh, paroled into the U.S. can receive Medicaid food stamps and cash benefits, according to HHS Office of Refuge and Resettlement. The new program uses parole authority to allow 30,000 Venezuelans, Nicaraguans, Cubans, Haitians to enter the U.S. on a monthly basis if they have a sponsor. Migrants of the aforementioned nationalities would otherwise be expelled under Title 42. But now it's the entitlement to government services. I will tell you, I am not a hard-hearted person. But our immigration system is flawed and it's wrong. And I I railed about this earlier. The stories of immigration that I tell people are the ones that I've heard are from people who became an American success story. Not necessarily great wealth. And in many cases, it is an immense wealth. It's freedom and it's a life path that they've chosen. 
raising their children as Americans, watching their children's children born. So they had American born grandchildren live a life that's comfortable by U.S. standards, own their cars, although they may not be expensive, own their home, retire, put their families through college when they can or go to college themselves and change the course of their life. That's the American dream. That's the immigration story that we should be telling people. Those are the immigration stories of America that I hear over and over and over again from people. Instead, now when we talk about immigration, these are the stories we're hearing. And the story, because they're true. The people that are amassing at our border that are breaking our laws, that are that are abusing our laws. They know what to say. They're being taught how to say things when they cross the border to enter the asylum process. As a matter of fact, there's a story, um, one of the headlines today, um, it says that asylum <clears throat> has become a parallel immigration system. That people know that if they don't want to sit in line and they don't want to wait, And instead of what they would do years ago where they would sneak into the country and either assume someone else's identity or work under the table and kind of live in the shadows for a big chunk of their life, what they're doing now is presenting themselves to the United States government as an asylum seeker. And put into the pipeline for asylum because American laws allows them to do that. And it's taking sometimes three, four years to hear their cases. And as I've said before, for the legitimate asylum seekers out there, they're stuck in this system instead of having a streamlined pathway to their legitimate asylum. And the other people that are breaking the laws are coming here and we are incentivizing them coming here. We have given people a false impression about American kindness. That's what bothers me. The story out of New York yesterday that I told of the uh, of the protests, there were people, there were a hotel in New York in the Hell's Kitchen neighborhood of New York, of Manhattan, and there were migrants being put up in this hotel by the federal government. Well, they built a shelter near there, and they said to all of the single men that were staying in this hotel, you're being relocated to a shelter because we need the hotel rooms you're in for families. These men didn't want to leave the comforts of the hotel. They said no, and they went and laid in the street, stopping traffic in protest. They were eventually cleared, and they had to go to a shelter. That kind of abuse of our kindness is what infuriates people, and it gives people a negative impression and negative thoughts about immigration. I always want to tell the success stories of people that have come to this country, embraced Americanism while holding on to the cultures where they've come from, and made a success of their life, giving credit to the American lifestyle. I believe that's what's going to save this great country. I really do. But the idea that we're going to allow the negatives to continue is just a blight on the system. Just after 11 o'clock, we had an interview with Clint Hickman. Clint Hickman is the chairman of the County Board of Supervisors. He is fed up with threats against employees in elections and asked the attorney general to do something about it. You heard part of that interview. Next.